This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Hello. Hello. Happy Wednesday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan where we catch you up on the news of the day, our lives, and so much more with fun music in between here on Channel Q. He's back. I was about to say, guess who's back, but you just had to step in. Always. You know, it feels like home. Hello, everyone. Ryan is back. Did you miss us, Ryan? Did I miss you all? Um, You know, (laughs) I had other things that I was kind of uh, worried about, but I did. Actually, I did miss being on air. I loved uh, listening to you and Char have a wonderful time. Um, So that was nice. There were some interviews that I was so jealous that I didn't get to experience, but y'all killed it. Y'all really, really killed it. And thank you so much for showing up for me in my time of need. Of course. Always. That's what we're here for. That's what a team is. The whole Channel Q fam has. It's been great. Ah, well, it is good to have you back and to have you for the rest of the week. You know, until further notice. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? Pride is like basically here. Pride is like ringing in. Honestly, I. it's just been so wonderful to see everyone kind of figure out what they're doing this year. And I think Pride is really exciting this community in a way that we probably haven't seen just because of last year. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone is really excited to jump back in there. You know, I'm hosting a three-day music festival uh, coming up next week, and it's just going to be a ball. Like, it's going to be a moment, um, and I hope everyone is ready, including us. I hope your outfits are ready. Oh, God. Let's not even talk about that. That gets very nerve-wracking. Let's not even talk about it. Sorry. I'm, not, I'm nowhere near. Trigger alert. Close to that. I need to figure out what I'm wearing. And I can't do the basic uh, maybe rainbow thing I always do. I always wear all this like, yeah, I know. What an ally. It's too much. (laughs) I need to relook at my my pride outfits. Rethink that. Yeah, maybe you should. Maybe you should. We should have a pride fashion segment on the show. No, we should. Why not? All right. Well, there actually has been really interesting discourse online on Twitter recently about kind of like, there's been a lot of kink shaming for like the leather community Mm -hmm. and like harnesses and all that stuff where people are saying that they don't belong at pride because it's a kid-friendly event. But to be honest... 
Is Pride really a kid-friendly event? Not really. That's what you make of it, and depends yeah. on where you're hanging out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But there's been a, this interesting, interesting discourse about all of that. Um, Out.com actually has an interesting article um, about it on their website if you want to check mm. it out. All right. Well, uh, coming up on this show today, the ACLU is joining us to discuss their latest lawsuit against anti-trans laws in Arkansas. So happy they're doing that. They're joining us in 15 minutes, plus how the early internet created a place for trans youth and how we can rebuild that now. That's at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. We've got some very tragic breaking news. Nine people are dead, including a suspect after a shooting at a light rail yard in San Jose, California. And here's San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo. A very dark moment for our city and for our community, but we have already seen how people are pulling together in this very, very tough time. As Supervisor Chavez reminded us, uh, these are and were essential workers. These VTA employees helped us get through this horrific pandemic. Yeah, it's very unfortunate to get that news today. And we'll keep reporting as we hear uh, anything on the show today as well. Amy Cooper, remember the white woman who called 911 on a black bird watcher in Central Park? Well, she has filed a discrimination lawsuit against her former employer for firing her when that video of the incident went viral. <laughs> I know. What makes her think she has a case? What? Yes. And Franklin Templeton, the employer said this in a statement. We believe the circumstances of the situation speak for themselves and that the company responded appropriately. We will defend against these baseless claims. Yeah, and she also violated probably any uh, company policy that she had with that company when she signed on to do that job. So it's kind of like, at the end of the day, just like those people who were insurrectionists that got fired for being domestic terrorists, yeah, you're kind of a reflection of the job that you have. I was very surprised by this, but I guess I shouldn't be. Also, she said some other things in this lawsuit. Girl, she ain't learned that was were very not good, not in good taste. And uh, finally, the state of Arkansas, again, is being sued over the new, their new law that bans doctors from providing gender-affirming health care treatments for trans youth. The ACLU filed that lawsuit in the U.S. District Court yesterday on behalf of four transgender young people and their families and two doctors. Again, they are joining us next. But first, let's get into some what. The tea. I'm about to. I was about to say what's trending this hour, but I just did that. <laughs> you just did it. Well, um, Kim K is battling it out in a labor lawsuit against some old employees. It's time for the tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Listen up. So, a lawsuit filed in Los Angeles County Superior Court Monday by seven former workers at Kim Kardashian's Hidden Hills home alleges that the reality star and beauty mogul violated California labor laws. These workers who worked on the property as gardeners and maintenance staff claimed that Kardashian withheld taxes from their wages without furnishing those amounts to the government. They also alleged that Kardashian did not pay for overtime, did not allow meal and rest breaks, and required a 16-year-old on the crew to surpass the 48 weekly working hours allowed for uh, for one of his age. Which, dude, this is kind of a, a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. So a spokesperson for Kardashian told Page Six, saying these workers were hired and paid through a third-party vendor hired by Kim to provide ongoing services. Kim is not um, party to the agreement made between the 
the vendor and their workers. Therefore, she is not responsible for how the vendor manages their business and the agreements they have made directly with their staff. But you're Kim Kardashian. You have all this damn money. You don't think to ever check to make sure that your employees on your on uh, you know working around you are getting paid fairly. Well, the thing is, if you paid someone to deal with that, you usually pay a chunk of money to one company, and then they pay all the team. But that's a problem. That, well, that yeah, I, have I mean. Rich folks. Uh, they think that, oh, I'm just going to pay someone to handle lot. it. To be and clear, that's not, that's not how it works. To be clear, whether you uh, do it within your home or your company, you hire a company because you trust that they could do that dirty work, kind of, right? And so it sucks. And it's unfortunate that it happens. But I don't know if I would blame Kim for that. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to necessarily blame her either. But I do think... No matter what, if you're in that position, you should know all of your business oh, inside well, and out. Well, now you should really do your due diligence on those companies because a lot of people do take advantage, including in that industry. Yeah, so now she has all these workers coming for her, and we're going to see what happens. It's developing. We got a lot to cover in the T-Report. I'm telling you, I picked out some juicy stories today, oh. so get ready. Love it. Well, coming up, ACLU joins us next to discuss their Arkansas lawsuit over banning of healthcare for transgender youth. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As more and more states are creating these anti-trans bills, finally, I've been waiting for this, the ACLU has filed a lawsuit against one of the first ones that really passed the bills, Arkansas. Uh, they pushed a bill through that prohibits healthcare prof- professionals from providing or even referring transgender young people for medically necessary health care. Yeah. And so ACLU finally, you know, this is obviously a long time coming, I, I'm assuming, but I feel like I was waiting for this. I was like, we can't just sit back and allow this to happen. Well, I, I think what's interesting, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but finding out more information just about everything that's going on in Arkansas. Did you know since April 19th, this was originally reported by LGBTQ plus nation, uh, dot com, at least four teens have had attempted suicide after Arkansas's ban that, uh, against trans youth from getting health care. And, you know, at this moment, uh, and we don't even know, I mean, it's been a month or so since all of this has really kind of come out and we've seen it constantly fighting and, and, and the, the constant attacks. But to know that already four transgender teens at one clinic in Arkansas, you know, have reportedly you know, attempted suicide because of these state banned gender affirming health care. And so I, I'm wondering what ACLU is going to what they're doing, what this lawsuit really means. I believe we actually have uh, our guest on air. Yes. The executive director of the ACLU Arkansas joins us. Holly Dixon, thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me and covering this important case. Yes, of course. Well, thank you for your work. Tell us more about this lawsuit. Give us some more details. Well, the lawsuit is brought by four brave families and their incredibly brave, strong, wonderful, beautiful children and two physicians who provide care to trans youth, including some of the other clients, um, to ask the court to never let this law take effect. 
Right. And the ACLU is saying that this violates uh, the Equal Protection Clause and it also violates the First Amendment uh, because the law bans doctors from referring patients for medical treatments. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what the ACLU is, is saying that this is really doing right now? And I guess in the legal terms of it all. Yes. So, you know, we all know that it is creating a public health care crisis for trans youth um, and already devastating them. But in terms of the claims themselves, that you under the equal protection claim, the law is singling out trans youth in uh, their health care. So the health care that's being provided now for gender affirming care can be provided for any other reason as long as it's not for gender-affirming care. And so this is singling out trans youth for differential unfair treatment in violation of the Equal Protection Clause. And then under the First Amendment, the doctors, not only are they prohibited from providing this care at the risk of losing you know, their licensure, um, but they're also prohibited from providing information to patients and their families about where they can receive gender-affirming health care, whether it would be in-state or out-of-state. Um, so this violates the First Amendment rights of the doctors to provide information to patients, but also the, the First Amendment rights of patients and their family members to receive information without undue government influence, and therefore the First Amendment violation. Yeah. And, and so how long have you been working on this lawsuit? How how does this work? It gets passed. But obviously, when you see this coming, the ACLU is working to prep itself to get ready to push this through, I'm assuming. Well, you know, this is this is a, a super bad one. Um, it is uniquely harmful. And um, so I would say we started working on this lawsuit from the time the bill was filed. Mm -hmm. We've been hearing uh, from and visiting with terrified families from the start. And of course, we work to try to keep this bill from passing. We work to try to uh, get the governor to not sign it. He he vetoed the bill, as you know, and then the legislature overrode that veto in, in pretty short order. Um, but, you know, we've been working throughout knowing that it was going to be a difficult battle for us um, in the state legislature and preparing to bring together uh, a good team to, to try to get into court as quickly and as responsibly as possible. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? Uh, Axios just put out an article saying that some Republican governors have found themselves at odds with their own party over a record number of bills targeting transgender children. Do you think we'll start seeing kind of social conservatives um, in these spaces kind of go at odds with their own party when fighting um, against these trans anti-trans bills? Yes, I mean, that's, that's what we saw here in Arkansas. Now, our governor did sign some other bills that were targeting trans youth and, and trans Arkansans, such as, two, you know, the two athletic bans that we saw. Uh, there were many more anti-trans or anti-LGBTQ bills that were filed uh, in the legislature. But for, for this to ban life-saving, uh, gender-affirming care for children was just too far yeah. and our governor our governor was not willing to go that far he he um to his credit did the work of talking with 
medical professionals, talking with parents, talking with trans people themselves in order to educate himself on what's really happening and not happening here and made a responsible decision uh, to veto that legislation. There's, there was just so much fear-mongering mm-hmm. um, and, and misinformation presented by sponsors and supporters of this legislation that, you know, I'm really glad the governor um, took, it, took his own initiative to educate himself about what, what really is happening here. And, I mean, of course, the sponsors and supporters could point to absolutely zero children who have been hurt in the state of Arkansas. Yeah. Well, Holly Dixon, thanks again for being with us. We hope to have you back as this continues and continues to be fought around the country. Thank you so very much. I appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. You too. That was Holly Dixon, executive director of the ACLU of Arkansas. Now coming up, the latest around Trump's criminal probe, what you need to know next with The Washington Post. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love. Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Manhattan's district attorney is deciding whether to indict former President Donald Trump, other executives at his company, or the business itself. And so we have the latest on the criminal probe. Joining us right now is senior editor of The Washington Post, Mark Fisher. Thanks for being here again. Great to be with you, Cheryl. So tell us more about this latest news, because it is a change from previous reports. Yeah, what's happened is that uh, the Manhattan District Attorney, Cyrus Vance, has uh, convened what's called a special grand jury. That's a group of about 23 people, usually. uh, And they come together not just to uh, hear the evidence in one case, but they come together for a long time, up to six months. And they'll meet three times a week, usually, uh, to hear evidence Uh, on this and other cases. And what we don't know is whether they are looking specifically at uh, criminal evidence against Donald Trump or against his company or against other executives in his company. Uh, But uh, what it does tell us is that the prosecution has advanced to the point that they believe that there is material out there uh, that would show criminal deeds by one or another of those parties. Uh, And so they want to explore that. The grand jury allows them, uh, it's kind of a means by which the prosecution Prosecutors can go deeper into something. Uh, They can use the grand jury to subpoena documents that they don't already have. And then they can use that grand jury to present what they do have and say, hey, uh, do you think this is worthy of an indictment? Well, what's the purpose of getting a panel together, especially if they feel like they have all of this information that they could possibly pursue? 
Well, because the way our criminal system works, a prosecutor uh, in, in, in certain cases can't just go ahead and charge uh, someone by themselves. They need the approval of a grand jury. They need uh, a group of citizens to come forward, listen to the evidence and say, yes, we think you have something there. Let's go ahead. Or no, we think there's that this is bogus and then you don't have it. And, uh, you know, either go back and do more investigating or drop it. So it, the grand jury serves as a check on the prosecutors, uh, but um, it, it's also a way for the prosecutors to get more information. So this could be a signal that they still need to acquire some more documents uh, and they need the grand jury's say-so to be able to do that. Are people going to give up at this point if this time it doesn't work? There's by no means any certainty that any of this will end up with criminal charges. And all of that is before we get to the larger question of can you uh, or should you indict a former president? And uh, the Justice Department may have a view on that. Uh, certainly, President Biden has said uh, that uh, he does not think that he, uh, there should be a top priority uh, for any administration to uh, look back at the misdeeds of, of a former administration. But uh, on the other hand, what they're looking at in New York predates Donald Trump's presidency, looks at uh, things that his business was doing over the decades before he even entered politics. Wow. So I, if this does happen, um, this would make him right. If you can correct me if I'm wrong, would this make him like the first U.S. president to be charged with a crime like th this does happen, like if it goes that way? I believe that's right. I'm not aware of any uh, other president who's been charged with a crime. Obviously, uh, there were uh, investigations in motion against Richard Nixon at the time that he was forced to resign, uh, not only impeachment, but also other investigations into possible crimes. But then he was uh, pardoned by President Ford, and all of those investigations came to a crashing halt. Uh, so uh, that, that's really the only precedent we have. And could there ever be a pardon from Biden? Yeah, I hope. Well, I mean, technically, yes. It seems highly unlikely that he would do that, um, but right. uh, but but it's certainly within his power. Yeah, that that's just weird. <laughs> hey, I'm exploring all the possibilities here. <laughs> no, that's just weird. You know, obviously Trump is going to be speaking out, uh, and he already probably is speaking out against this. I'm just interested in seeing how this is going to to work from the uh, prosecutor's side, especially if prosecutors are known to have already have like a certain bias against Trump. If they don't like him already, is that going to hurt their case at all at this point? Well, in the case of the, the attorney general in New York, the state attorney general, um, she has made very strong statements about going after Trump. So that there could certainly be a political argument against uh, any actions that she took against him. But in the case of the Manhattan district attorney, Cy Vance, uh, he, he's not made any such political statements. And uh, he's so he, he's in a much kind of cleaner territory. Um, but I think, you know, obviously anything that they do, Trump will spin as being a witch hunt and attack on him personally. Uh, and, and that's going to be an issue that, uh, you know, any grand jury, I think, will be have a certain amount of skepticism and look at this and they'll say, is this really a crime or is this just someone going after Trump because they, they oppose him politically? Uh, so it's, it's always a tricky thing when you go after someone uh, who holds public office. But uh, obviously, if these are crimes that have to do with his business and, and don't have to do with his official act as president, it should be a clearer path toward a prosecution if that's where they end up. But they're going to need uh, not only more documents they're going 
going to need uh, some important people inside the Trump organization mm-hmm. to flip and give them uh, some some testimony. That's what they're trying to do. That's one of the reasons they're doing this grand jury is to get Trump's chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, uh, to understand the severity of the uh, situation he faces and then maybe persuade him to uh, give them evidence of crimes by Trump or his top executives. Okay, well, lots of rubber minds around. That was senior editor from The Washington Post, Mark Fisher. Thanks again. Thank you. And by the way, Trump has already called it a witch hunt, like everything else. Yes. But uh, coming up, Laverne Cox reacts to what many are calling the anti-trend 60-minute segment. We'll be back with that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. 60 Minutes has gotten backlash from the LGBT plus community after Leslie Stahl interviewed people who later regretted their decision to transition as part of the segment. And many are responding to this, including actress Laverne Cox, who shared this on Instagram. And this is, by the way, um, a moment from her 25 minutes post about it. We focus on surgery and transition. We talk with and about trans people, that that it objectifies trans people and that it is, that that is fundamentally dehumanizing. I do not believe that that has changed in 2021. When we have conversations in the media with and about trans people that focuses on gender transition, I find that that objectifies trans people. It reduces our identities to transition. And I find that fundamentally dehumanizing. And I think that what I witnessed in the 60 Minutes segment last night is is, is that. And- well, I mean, you can't disagree with that. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. And it's a bit disappointing considering it's 60 Minutes and they had a huge opportunity to make an impact and really tell the story properly. No, they really did. And they really missed um, uh, so much. I mean... I haven't watched the full interview, um, but I know, you know, Glad had to put out a statement on it because, you know, it, it felt like they were blaming, you know, people, kids being trans on YouTube and trying to have this really asinine <laughs> talking point that made no sense. There was no facts behind it. It just felt like what was the purpose of this conversation that they wanted to have or bring to you know, the middle of America when talking about these trans issues, especially during the time where so much anti-trans legislation is out in the forefront. Totally. And and to be clear, I didn't not expect them to cover the other side. I mean, even with changing the game, is that the documentary on Hulu about the trans athletes? Yes. Uh, they do talk about the naysayers. Like, you can't approach this conversation, including journalistically, without confronting the other side. However, to make it as big of a focus as they did... It was almost, and because we had actually, Ryan, when you were gone, one of the gynecologists on our show who was featured. Yeah, Dr. Marcy Browser. Yes. She's and incredible. She's yeah, so known. She, yeah, she's amazing. She's friends of the show now. Yes, yes, FYI. yes. yes. She's and a big deal. even what she said is, this is not a light decision, and it's obvious some people are going to make mistakes, but to take that, and that's only like maybe 2% of the transitions, and make that a central part of the story is ridiculous Mm -hmm. and also Mm -hmm. it feeds into a narrative of the questions and skepticism so many people have of it and she even said when she did the interview it she said that 60 minutes was so skeptical it was almost like they had their own biases in approaching the story being uh, cis straight people telling the story and they couldn't believe it just because of 
their perspective of the trans experience. Yeah, but to be honest, I, I do feel like I, every time that I see 60 Minutes try to touch on a topic that is very progressive, it often feels like it's rooted in a kind of a uh, conservative or even kind of older lens. I mean, course, Leslie Stahl yeah. is someone who's been a journalist forever, and I, I do think despite her being a journalist, I do think, you know, this is probably a lot of new information for her. And the fact that 60 Minutes could have consulted with so many people, journalists, uh, doctors, uh, organizations, before putting this out on air, it feels like, okay, one, you're too confident. You don't know what you're talking about. And before you do something like this on a, a national show in this way, Please be more responsible. That 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 is awful because it's parents and it's people, you know, older folks who are watching these things. It's not the trans youth watching oh, sixty yeah. minutes, and so that is informing their perspective on this, and that's only further harming those trans kids that are living in those predicaments, are in those situations where they can't be themselves, or they're constantly fighting for their lives. Definitely tell the whole story. Don't tell half the story. Well, let us know what you think about all of this and Laverne Cox's take. At LGT Show is where you can find us on social media. You know we love hearing from you. Mm-hmm. But coming up, Caitlyn Jenner continues to double down on the trans athlete debate as well. What she shared in her latest TV interview next on What's Trending This Hour. What a joke. Let's- Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show today, the future of hugging in a time of consent. Because of, well, COVID, but also like, you know, there needs to be consent in terms of hugging. Like it used to be something innocent. You got to respect people's boundaries. You know, I actually recently did. uh, There's this app called Hi-Ho. Yes. I recently asked this question about the the end of hugs. Well, we should play some of those responses at the end of the hour. We can do that. Okay. Stick around for that. But we have uh, Dr. Josh Claypo, who's a psychologist, joining us for that. Oh, about about hugs? Yep. Hmm. I would like to hug Dr. Josh. Mm, Too bad you can't. I got to ask him first. Plus, (laughs) Seth Rogen's message to those whining about cancel culture. That's in a moment on the T-Report. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. California gubernatorial candidate. I wonder if I'll ever be able to say gubernatorial without just like thinking to myself, can I say that word? No, because you're a goober. Gubernatorial. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner doubled down on her assertion that transgender women shouldn't compete in high school sports. Here's what she had to say on Fox News. What I would do as, as governor, I would put together a commission. Trans women can compete in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. 
But when it gets down to the high school level, there's no guide rules, there's no rules and regulations how they can. And trans women who are truly Mm -hmm. trans, who at a very young age, you know, started proper medical treatment, they've grown up as girls, of course they should be able to compete in girls' sports. But, yeah, some guy who hasn't done any therapy, hasn't done anything, there has to be a review board. I would be the first governor to put together a review board to review each case. Such a small issue. It's like a non-issue that's out there. And I would be surprised if there's 30 trans athletes in the entire state. Like, some of what she said, like, made sense, and then a lot of it didn't. Nothing of what she said well, made she sense. She said that if you're a girl, but meaning she's on the right side in like she's a little not. percentage. She said that if you're, you grow up. Why do up, you take words just, by face, like face value? Caitlyn Jenner is someone who wants to be herself and wants to be accepted fully for herself, but no one else is allowed to be damn accepted for themselves. My thing is everything that she says, she's trying to make it seem like she's I, pro-trans, but guess what? That's she's what not. I was saying. Like, that's not what you it's, were saying. No, it's clear. Cloaked in this idea that she gets it, but she doesn't get it because she says some things like, oh, yeah, if you grow up as girls, you should be able to compete. But then and then she gets into the problematic territory. No, even from that perspective is problematic. Growing up as girls, a lot of young it's kids are still wording. trying to figure everything out. And just because, like, kids aren't being placed on hormone therapies and all these things. So like, she, that's all been debunked. Like, that's just not necessarily happening for every situation here. So this idea is like, oh, if you're growing up as a girl, it's fine. No. Like, why Why does it even matter at this point? In my opinion, Caitlyn Jenner has, has said what she said. She's took her stance. And there's no amount of twisting like Donald Trump would twist that would make her look good. I'm sorry. There's nothing. Nothing she said in that clip sounded good for me. I'm surprised like it sounded she doesn't, good for everyone else. It's, no, it seems like she doesn't understand it. Did you but, miss me? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my lordy. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to like say, well, like, yeah, the the the, uh, the regular person would think. But I said, I was like, okay, she's. I like at first, it's like when you're going in the right direction, and then you're like, oh no, she's veering back. Anyway, there's no way but she's going to be on Fox News ever going in the right direction. She's already heading over a cliff. I get what you're saying. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> do you get it? You're listening. Do not y'all you, get it? Do you, yeah, I'm going to say keep saying y'all. I'm just adding that to my vocabulary. Oh, my God. Are you with me? Are you with us? At LGT Show is where you can slide into our DMs. And uh, according to The Hill, Senator Bernie Sanders is dropping his bid to block a $735 million arms sale to Israel, ending what was looked at as a long-shot Senate effort. Sanders will no longer try to force a vote on his resolution after being informed last week that the sale had been approved. And finally, Howard University is renaming its College of Fine Arts after the late actor Chadwick Boseman, an alumnus of the school. Boseman, who graduated from Howard in 2000 with a Bachelor of Arts degree in directing, died in August from colon cancer. So that was uh, definitely making news today in honor of him. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Seth Rogen 
is attacking other comedians for whining about cancel culture rather than just owning up to their horrific and terrible jokes. Uh, those were words that he used. Um, it's time for the Tea Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Seth was on Good Morning Britain. He's promoting his book and his weed line, of course. Um, and basically, he said that some off-color jokes, uh, basically he admits to some of his jokes not aging well. And while insisting that he never made a joke that was outwardly horrific in some way. But he also said this that I thought was really interesting. Saying terrible things is bad. So if you said something terrible, then that's something you should confront in some way, shape, or form. Um, I don't think that's cancel culture. That's you saying something terrible if if, if that's what you've done. Well, you've got a a lot of... I mean, it seems pretty... Like, that's one thing I love about Seth Rogen. It just feels like he always just gets it. It's so simple. I love his giggle. It's simple when you're stoned constantly. (laughs) You're like, come on. Life is just obvious. Clarity comes in. But I mean, it also is just basic. Yeah, it it is pretty basic. Yeah. Uh, I just, I love how he said it. He's like, come on. Just like, people could say it. (laughs) He probably was was so high there. That's what I'm just saying. Come on. Yeah, you just said he was promoting his weed line. But also his book. Yeah. About weed. No, his book is about, uh, his book is called Yearbook and it's about all the celebrities the encounters that he's had over the years. While and, he was high. <laughs> I mean, that part too. Um, he also continued on saying getting criticism is one of the things that goes along with being an artist. And True. if you don't like that, then don't be a comedian wow. anymore. Wisdom. Dropping knowledge. He's my favorite person ever. That is your T Report. I got more coming up next hour, so stick around. And coming up on the show, how to navigate hugging so it's consensual and comfortable for everyone involved. That is next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Hugging this day and age can be complicated. You know, between the pandemic and conversations around consents and respecting consent, obviously, you might wonder, is it even safe to hug anymore? There's no such thing as a, a hugger anymore. Is what I, I believe. You know what? I you know still, how people are yeah. like, oh, I'm a hugger. Yeah, I still I still say like, I, I say, uh, do you want to do a fist pump, a handshake, or a hug? You fist pump? Are you like some 17-year-old frat boy entering into his favorite fraternity? People do that who are uh, germaphobes. Who fist bumps? A lot of people. I understand maybe like people Howie that have was, Yeah, I was going to say Howie Mandel fist bumps and I'm following his lead. Some people don't want to touch hands and you do or like the, the, the foot uh, bump. Why are you bringing your feet off of the ground to bump them? That's what people did. It was the pandemic handshake. And what, like the caveman times? That just No, just now. Where have you been? Oh. Under a rock? All right. Dr. Josh Glavo joins us right now, who's a clinical psychologist. I've never heard Dr. of this. Dr. Josh, thanks for joining us. I don't know about the foot bump. That's what, what I'm saying. What are you talking about? People were always doing that during the pandemic because they didn't want to touch hands. Nobody's oh my ever God. done Am a I- foot bump. Am I alone? Where are we right now? Are we on planet Earth? Okay. No one has ever done the foot bump. Dr. Josh, do you find a lot of people are anxious about hugs these days more than usual? Of course, we should be. I mean, mean, I've experienced this myself. It is particularly right now because um, some people are vaccinated, some people are not. We're emerging. Hugging is the most, if you will... um, intimate of sort of casual uh, interaction. Yeah, people people don't exactly know what to do. And I think more than anything else, they don't know how to approach it. And I, I, I will tell you that from personal experience. It is incredibly awkward because you don't just give someone a hug, even if you're a hugger. 
Um, and so you really got to have, you got to have your script on how to approach it um, or just deal with the awkwardness. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I think this idea of like having kind of like a, a script to, to, to kind of go through that, is that something that people are actually really doing? Like preparing like a, a, a little workaround to bringing themselves back into public again? Well, I, I think it's more of a mental script. I, it, it's more of an experiential script. So, for example, um, and again, uh, many of us are just emerging in in uh, mass social situations for the first time. So, Ryan, you know, you go up, you see someone you, that you know or maybe you don't know that well, and you're not sure if they're vaccinated. Uh, they don't know that you're vaccinated, and there's this moment, right? And you mm-hmm. can either do it verbally or non-verbally. And what you typically see people do is they either open their arms or you see them say something like, I'm vaccinated. And then that seems to be the permission to then go ahead and, uh, and, and embrace in the hug. I, I, I think where people are going to get in trouble is it doesn't have to be overly formal, but it does need to have some precursor to just running up and opening your arms and assuming that because you do that, the other person's going to reciprocate. I agree. And this is something I went through even before the pandemic where I had a meeting and someone came in. It was uh, not that it matters. It happened to be a woman who came into this meeting. And right away, I was in that mode of like, I'm a hugger. You know, I'm trying to be friendly with everyone. And she goes, oh, no, thanks. Like, I don't want to hug. Did that hurt your feelings? <laughs> and at first, it was a bit off-putting. But I obviously had to respect that. And I think it's something we need to get more used to and not take it personally. And at the end of the meeting, she actually said that I could give her a hug. <laughs> So, you know, and she was going through her own process. But, like, I think this is something we need to reconcile and not take it personally if someone doesn't want to hug. Of course not. And, you know, what's, what's kind of ironic about this, uh, Shira, is that's what we're supposed to be. That's kind of how we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to do it even before COVID. Yeah. It's, it's called reading the room. You know, there are so many nonverbals, uh, nonverbal cues that are there. If you're a hugger or you're not a hugger, you know, if you're not a hugger and someone's kind of coming to you in open arms, you you can reach your hand out. You can step back. You don't have to say, no, I'm not a hugger. And if you're on the flip side, if you are a hugger and you're kind of going there and you see the person take just an inch back, that should be enough to tell you just back off a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that I think when you think about the like, I guess, pre-COVID, you're like, oh my God, now that we've been through all this, there's just no way I would ever do it again. So do you think that we're coming to the the end of like the hugging era? Like, I don't know if I ever want to hug again, to be honest. You know, I, I think not. I mean, m- maybe for you, Ryan, personally, and I think a lot of people are, are rethinking it, but you can already see handshakes are coming back, you know, hugs are coming back. I think there's more hesitation, and I definitely think you're going to see people who are now thinking twice about it, but all of these things, whether it's handshakes, fist bumps, foot bumps, or hugs, these are all social interactions, and it takes two, and it's part of our job as humans to, again, read the person and and respect respect their social boundaries. I think that's the most important thing. If they don't want to shake your hand, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't like you. Uh, they could have, they could be sick. They could feel uncomfortable. I mean, those are the kinds of things where we need to not get that out of shape. But we need to respect people's wishes. You know, I agree with that. And I'm a hugger. 
But even like now I'm starting to um, hang out in spaces where there's people that I don't know. And I'm like, I don't really feel the need. Like I need to hug you. Like I don't. And the hand thing too. Shaking hands is kind of gross. That is more gross to me than a hug. For some reason, I do not believe you. You love a hug. I know. Well, I actually feel like a hug is more natural than a handshake. A handshake's strange. Yeah, handshake it's is awkward, weird. right? I'd rather do a f- the fist pump. I think we need to bring it back. I mean, we need to I normalize. Think we should leave the it in two thousand two. And is it a bump or a pump? <laughs> like, that's the big oh, question. Oh God! <laughs> oh, thank you so much for being with us. You're amazing. Oh my God! I got to go back. I got to go. Foot bump somebody now, so I'll talk yeah, to y'all there you soon. go. And Ryan supposedly wants hugs, so I don't know. I how don't do want to hug. You just said, Oh, I would, I would to totally hug, hug Dr. Josh. He's the one person I would hug. Oh, though. someday we'll get to hug Ryan. Thanks. I'm gonna come visit you, give you a big old hug. Oh, yeah, Ryan is very hug worthy. Thank Even you. Even though, but a lot of times he doesn't want it. I Maybe that's what makes him more hug worthy. You just want to get after it. Where's the conversation about consent again? <laughs> but listen, stick around because we actually have some responses from folks around this question about whether hugging is, you know, going extinct and whether they, you know, they rather hug or do whatever they would rather do. So stick around for that in 10 minutes or so. But next, how the early internet created a place for trans youth to find one another and what we can learn from that to create safe spaces for the future. Dr. Josh Claypo, thanks again. We'll be back with more of Let's Go There next. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up in 10 minutes, your responses to our question of the day, should hugs go away? We got quite a few and we're going to be playing some of those on the show. Ooh, I missed doing a question of the day. Oh yeah, it's making a comeback. Mm-hmm. But first, you know, a lot of transphobes and folks who are pushing these anti-trans bills, they're calling out social networks for creating gender dysphoria. But what many of these opponents don't realize is that the internet has been a place for trans youth for a long time. Well, like most things, people don't know how to do their research. Of course. And they don't know the historical context to a lot of these conversations. And here to share more is Avery Dame Griff, who is a visiting assistant professor of gender, women's, and sexuality studies at Appalachian State University, also the primary curator of the Queer Digital History Project, which documents pre-2010 LGBTQ spaces online. Such a cool project. Thanks for being here. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us more about these early digital trans communities. What did they look like? Where were they? So they were sort of all over the place. It's the funny thing is basically trans people have been online as long as an online space existed. So in the 80s, a lot of these would be what we know as BBSs, which were basically servers you would dial in through with a modem, or on commercial services like things you will not have heard of, like CompuServe or even early America Online. Such trans people were sort of always there and making space there. Yeah, which is really cool um, because, I, you know, I think when you watch documentaries like Disclosure and you find out trans representation in Hollywood ha- will date back so early on, you just never think about other, you know, forms of communication or even th- there was a digital trans community. But I think one thing that I thought was really interesting that you pointed out uh, was about trans adults and how they were kind of hesitant long for a long time to even be in contact with, like, minors. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? 
Yeah, sure. So this is sort of something comes in trans history because in the 70s, trans folks are sort of attacked and they kind of withdraw into developing their own community. But then they're really afraid of engaging for like with you specifically. Like I say in the article, they're afraid that parents will find out and parents will go to the police and accuse them of endangering a minor just by having contact with youth at all. That's wild. What made you want to dive in into the history of this? And what has been the most surprising thing that you continue to share with people? I think three I so I often think of this in terms of generations. I grew up online and I was the trans person who like for me, I found other trans people online. I grew up in the deep south in Alabama, so I didn't really know anybody. I knew any everybody online. So that what's what got me interested in that history. I think when you mentioned the most interesting thing is the very fact that there is this much longer history. There's stuff like my favorite fun fact is on AOL in the nineties, which was the most popular platform. You, for a long time, weren't able to write the words transsexual and transvestite because they were banned. Mm. And if you used them in public, your account could be banned. So one of the big early campaigns online was trans folks advocating with AOL just go to get their own space and to use the words that they would be used at that time to describe themselves. Yeah, I mean, this basically hmm. this historical context that you have in your brain is just so incredible, to be quite honest, because I, I, I even think about um, I, I think about how now you see 60 Minutes, so, you know, blaming this on social media and saying kids are going on YouTube to look up detransitioning. And it just felt like such a lazy um a, a, a lazy attempt of trying to combat all of these things that are, are going on with, you know, trans kids at this point. Why do you think we're seeing everyone blame uh, social media right now for these, for a trans youth becoming trans? I think, well, it's certainly a pattern. It's like, it's with all new media, there's always a fear of it. So I also, like the, in the 90s, the panic around kids accessing the internet and what kind of adult content they might access. Whenever you get a new media, there's like a panic about what might happen. And I think there's the idea that having access to this information is very scary. But what I kind of what I write about is that trans youth have always been there. It was just that by getting access, increasing access to computers, they actually could talk to each other and recognize, oh, there's more than just me. There's a bunch of us. And we all share some of the same experiences, which previously you could only really do once you were an adult. You were independent for a lot of folks that was in your 30s and 40s. Were there code words? Like when oh, you're on these, we're on these like chat rooms where they're like, because I mean, obviously, in, if you're going to like gay bars and, and back in the day, like mm-hmm. there were code words to even know if someone was queer or not. And so I, I wonder how that translates to these to these spaces of trying to find community on digitally. There absolutely were. Like with the AOL example, they would use uh, the phrase friends of Virginia Prince playing off friends of Dorothy or like use sort of terms like around Christine Jorgensen, who is one of the most early famous trans women in the United States. Use them as these kind of code words where if you were in the know, you would know who they were or what they meant. Um, Or a lot of times using the word gender instead of uh, for transsexual, transvestite, again, we're thinking the 80s and 90s, that's what they would have used. Gender would kind of be this word you could use, and if you were in the know, you'd be like, oh, this is a gender space. So you would know that this was the kind of specific space you were looking for. 
All right. Well, thank you so much. So much more to ask you around this. We hope to have you back because this is a fascinating topic and very relevant and important to what's happening today. Yeah, I would love to be. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Avery Dame Griff from Appalachian State University and part of uh, the curator of the Queer Digital History Project. Coming up next is Hugging Over. We've got answers from all of you. We're going to be playing some of those next. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in to navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, earlier this hour, we talked to a psychologist about the future of hugging as it relates to creating safe spaces and also just post the pandemic, right? Uh, what also feels clean to someone? Like, is it, you know, are we worried about getting germs from hugging? And of course, others are just thinking about consent. Well, we actually asked you on this on this app called HiHo, where me and Ryan are on there, and you can ask questions and people respond to them. This is not sponsored. This is by not the sponsored. Way. It just happened that we played around just... with it, and we were like, "Oh, this is a fun way to get answers." And you could always DM us at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. So we asked the question: Is hugging over? Are we moving on from hugging? And here are some of the answers. Here's one of them. Sorry, Ryan, but I 100% disagree with you. I think hugs. Uh, are amazing and I love them 1000%. Maybe not from like some random stranger, but um, definitely from your loved ones. Hugs just make everything feel warmer and it makes you feel loved. I don't like, that's my view, but um, I think uh, hugs still have a place in our society. And I would agree with that. I also think we got to work on our hugs because someone who gives a bad hug, it just makes it even more awkward. What qualifies as a bad hug? Well, there's two sides to it. Hug that's too, like, not close enough. That's just like, I'm scared to get close to you. But then there's some of them that are almost, like, too close for comfort. I'm uh, talking about hugs that are too long. You know how some uh, that people, too. like, when they don't feel you try to back off and they actually hug so, tighter. My, <laughs> what, producer Vanessa, do you have to say something? Yeah. Or do you the want to? The side hug. I want to. The side hug, that's a bad hug. And those are the hugs I give. The side hug. The side so hug. So you are guilty of the side hug. Yeah. Wow, okay. I don't like to hug. So the side hug is like, why are we hugging? At that point, just say, hey, I'm not a good hugger. I don't know. Yeah, take responsibility versus blaming it on the other person. <laughs> Let's play another listener. Okay. I've always been told that I was a really awkward hugger. <laughs> One of those people that I just go like this. Yeah. Little, little pat on the back. And it always makes people so upset. <laughs> so I'm totally with you. I don't mind if hugging goes away for just a little bit more. There you go. I'm just saying. I just think my question in, in the sense of like my the way I'm thinking about this is like COVID has changed so many things. And I, I do think that it will change how people especially interact with each other. And I think hugs are going to somehow be uh, like impacted by that. But I must say... I give credit 
to those folks out there who are amazing huggers. And you know who they are. I mean. And you know who you are. I know. You're you talking think about you're me. a great hugger? I do think I don't I'm a think great you've hugger. Ever, uh, yeah, you are. You're very warm. I, I like a good hug, even though I don't like hugs. It's like so weird. I'm conflicted. You know, my boyfriend hugs me, and he's one of those people that hugs, and he's like, did you just say the obvious is that your boyfriend hugs you? I would be, no, I would feel strange. Yeah, but he's, right. he's a long hugger. But he does these long, he really didn't. nice hug, hug, and I'm the one who's always like, okay, do I let go at this point? Like, I'm not, I'm never sure when to let That's go. That's what I'm saying. It's the let go part that makes it uncomfortable. Let's play one more. Human beings need physical touch. Hugging releases so many calming hormones that reduce your stress that... A lot of us are totally stressed out from lack of hugs. Um, hug, 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 hug. Hug me anytime. I'm not hugging her. No, anytime. she sounds like she's a good hugger. She sounds like she's an intense hugger, and then, like, one hug, she falls in love. <laughs> Hashtag psycho. What, and what about those people <laughs> that hug you when they make a noise? Like, oh, mm. Ew, is that sexual harassment? <laughs> Is this time's up? Seriously. I, I, You're just I, feeling into it. You know, I, I I would love to keep this conversation going. Let us know what you think about hugs. Are they over? Do you want them? Are you only giving hugs to certain people? Let us know at LGT Show on social. Keep it locked in. Exactly. Now, coming up, more on the first queer person to lead a press briefing today. An early ass queen, but that's next on our What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yep, coming up this hour of the show, are gay men who date their lookalikes being narcissistic? Comedian and writer David Hudson has those answers for us in 15 minutes. <laughs> Excited for that hot take. Oh, that's great. Uh, plus, what we learned from Demi Lovato's latest podcast episode in the T-Report. Because, of course, their podcast is on the Odyssey app. New episodes Wednesdays. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Corrine Jean-Pierre is the first gay person to lead a White House press briefing. Here she is today. I appreciate the historic nature. I really do. Uh, but I, I believe that, uh, you know, being behind, being behind this podium, uh, being in this room, uh, being in this building is not about one person. It's about, you know, what we do on behalf of the American people. Um, clearly, the president believes in, in representation matters, um, and I appreciate him giving me this opportunity. Uh, and it's, a, it's another reason why I think we are all so proud that this is the most diverse administration in history. Now, Jean-Pierre was filling in for White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. She's not just the first openly LGBTQ plus person to ever lead a press briefing. She is a lesbian, but the first black woman to address the White House Press Corp in three decades, which is wild. During President Biden's campaign, she was a senior advisor and then chief of staff to Kamala Harris, making her the first black person and first lesbian to hold that position for a vice presidential nominee. So Jean-Pierre is killing it. An early ass queen. I love yes. this. Yes, queen. Yes, and President Biden urged Congress to pass stricter gun control measures following the latest mass shooting at a Northern California rail yard today where eight people were shot dead. He said this in a statement, I have the solemn duty of yet again ordering the flag to be lowered at half-staff just weeks after doing so following the mass shootings at spas in around Atlanta and a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, at a home in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis, Indiana. A public transit employee opened fire on coworkers at the downtown 
San Jose rail yard today, killing eight people before taking his own life at the scene. And that is according to authorities. And today, Congress reintroduced the Keeping All Students Safe Act to make it illegal for cops and school staff to seclude or use life-threatening restraints on children. Police and school staff would instead undergo child-specific training that states would need to monitor. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so another episode of 4D with Demi Lovato has been released. And guess what? We got your first clip of the episode right here. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So episode two um, of 4D with Demi Lovato um, basically has Glennon Doyle, uh, author, activist, speaker, and podcast host. Um, I think the podcast is called We Can Do Hard Things. Joins Demi to reflect on gender performance, their individual journeys towards recovery, and what it means to trust your body. This uh, conversation was captured before Demi's uh, coming out as non-binary. So if you hear in this clip that we're about to play any pronouns, slip-ups, that is why. Here is that moment. What you're doing is you are having deeply human conversations where people are allowed to bring their full selves to the mm-hmm. table. Yes. Whether that full self changes tomorrow. It's this idea that all throughout history, we have created communities where people have to either choose their individuality or choose belonging. Right. And if you choose belonging, then you have to give up your individuality. You have to pretend to believe what they believe. You have to act like they act. You have to, right? And so- yeah. What if we could create spaces, places like what you're doing, where people can be both held and free Yeah, to keep hey. changing? Share, this is all up okay. your alley for I'm sure. Feeling, I'm feeling it, Demi. Dropping some knowledge. It wasn't been... Demi. It was Glenn. Oh, that? I thought that was Demi. That sounded like Demi's voice. There, Demi was saying, yep. That's oh all my that God. Demi was I actually... contributing to that <laughs> conversation. Yeah, that I was like confused because it sounded like their voice. All right. Now. But that was Glennon. I do follow Glennon Doyle on social media. And yeah, they're they're amazing. I mean, uh, they're not they. I'm mixing up now. It's so funny. She's amazing. <laughs> no, it, it really is great. You should check out the podcast only here on Odyssey, the Odyssey app. Of course, you can find it wherever you get your podcast, but the Odyssey app has so much content and everything you need to know about the entire world. Um, honestly, you should just stick it there. You know, I follow Glennon. She's had some amazing books that I actually really should read. If you want to check out, I'm just looking her up right now. <laughs> Stop it. Why are you making me feel so awkward? I don't know. I don't know why you feel so awkward. Oh, goodness gracious. That's the tea report. Shout out to Jimmy. I got more coming up next hour. <laughs> coming up. Are you narcissistic? Well. Yes. What do you have to say I about that? I didn't say anything. I if you say date, well. If you date someone who looks like you. Or maybe you're just narcissistic. (laughs) One comedian's take on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Baby, this is my friend Michael. Oh my gosh, it's so nice to finally meet you. Y'all are twin f***s. What? Twin f***s, clone twins, doppelganger lovers. We're different. Frank wears glasses. And Hank has facial hair. You told me that Hank was exotic. He's Italian. Well, (laughs) Italian-American. I'm third-generation Long Islander. And where are you from, Frank? Pittsburgh. 
I guess that is exotic for Pittsburgh. I think you both are just narcissists that want to f*** themselves. We're different. Okay, that was a moment from YouTube comic Michael Henry's latest video, simply entitled Twin Fs. I can't say the word here. Addressing something very real, and that's the idea that we are more inclined to date someone who looks like us. And specifically, what Henry is saying is those in the queer community are more inclined to do that. And does that mean you're narcissistic? Michael Henry joins us right now to respond directly to this question. Thanks for being Hello. here. Hi. Thank, thank you for having me. That was hilarious uh, and very well, real. I think so. So let's talk about this uh, twinsy relationship. Is that really only in the gay community, though? Because I feel like that's pretty much everywhere. Well, I mean, if it's a man and a woman relationship, you're going to have some differences physically. But when it's same sex, these people can look almost identical, like exact. Like I understand being in a uh, male-female relationship and you guys end up beginning to dress alike and eat alike and look alike. But these same-sex relationships, they're like seeking their doppelganger. They're like starting off the same. So I guess what does it speak to, this kind of like <laughs> this weird resemblance that we often see because I mean it's really interesting I thought about Colton Underwood and how Gus Kenworthy is his gay guide for his new reality show and it just felt like my my thought was okay so what is Gus going to teach him how to have sex with a guy who looks exactly like him you know <laughs> you know what I kind of thought something similar I'm like I'm, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it or the top of it uh, <laughs> um uh, why these people seek out guys that look just like them? Is it because they've made themselves look like what they think the ideal is, so they want to seek that too? But I've also seen same-sex relationships where the people, you know, don't necessarily look like the um, uh, porno type that you would expect. They look a little bit more regular. They look like they're with their twin even then. So I'm not really sure what it speaks to. So interesting because I think that as it relates to, uh, yeah, hetero couples, you say, oh, sister and brother, which is weird. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas it might be different in this, in this case. Uh, mm -hmm. But I guess, have you found yourself in this position? No, because uh, I like, uh, because I like people that look different. They have different, they come from different walks of life, have different experiences, tall, short, all sorts of things. I like, I like variety. I like diversity. I like whatever likes me. Um, but these people, I, my first thought is like, um, do you only like one thing? That's kind of strange to me to only like one type of thing. I shouldn't say thing, person. Well, I mean, yeah, because I, I think oftentimes you see it kind of wrapped into this this narrative that it's just a preference. But when you start to look around and you start seeing like people who look exactly like you and from different walks of life, I think it's a bigger red flag, to be quite honest. You know, I hate to take I, it there, but mm -hmm. I think it says a lot about the, the person and um, what they, they're really about, if you read between those lines. That's what I think a little bit. It's like, are you that basic to kind of just like the one type of person to like someone that's just like you? Um, like, have you not been surrounded by diversity? Um, but 
and maybe that's just like, I don't know, maybe all your crushes in high school look like just like you two or something. I'm not sure. But to me, I think it is a little bit narcissistic um, to only want to be with someone that looks like you. Um, Michael. Because there's so much out there. Yeah. And, my, and you're a YouTube comedian and a comedian at large. I, I hate to just like put you in the YouTube realm. Right. But how... Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you address what's what's happening in the queer community within all these videos and social media? You know, humor is my number one thing. I, uh, But I like to tell stories. I like to have conversations. I like to talk about some hot-button topics. You know, I don't always have answers for my, the topics in the videos. I just like to ha- get the conversation started. And the comment section is really what I make the videos for sometimes to see how diverse how diverse we are on opinions on one topic so to me that's what i like i like to divulge into you know the corners of the queer community that you don't really see in a sitcom on mainstream tv yeah definitely i'm looking at uh at the video we played a bit of that has already over one hundred thirty thousand um views Mm -hmm. and a ton of comments and it just seems like there's a need to poke fun at the community I think so. I mean, this is my corner of life. Uh, I feel like I have the right to skewer it just like anybody does. Well, I don't have have the right, by the way. I don't do that, obviously, because you're the you're the comedian here. (laughs) Well, you could if you want to skewer uh, whatever demographic you are in and analyze it, you have the right to do that with your group of people. (laughs) She makes fun of white women just by being herself. (laughs) <laughs> Damn. Damn. Well, <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of material there. Yeah, hey, where are the cameras? We're ra- we're just, waiting for our reality show. Just listen to what we're about to talk to uh, talk about next. Um <laughs> Michael Henry, thank you again for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you can check out Michael Henry on social media and his YouTube channel, channel uh, Michael Henry 915 is where you can find you where? Everywhere. I'm on Insta- Instagram, Twitter, okay. TikTok, Michael Henry 915. Just search Michael Henry on YouTube and I'll pop up. Amazing. Well, thanks again for the laughs. And thanks. coming up, yes, we are getting into the full moon. We are getting into what it means and if you should be following this because I think a lot of people are skeptical and we're going to break that down next. Tell you. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It is a full moon today and it seems like more and more people are getting into this. But what should you believe around all of it? Nina Khan is here, writer, astrologer, and the author of three books, including Astrology for Life. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Shara. Thank you for having me. Well, before we get into the supermoon today, let's get into uh, and explain the significance of these full moons and new moons. Sure. So full moons are sort of the climax of the monthly lunar cycle. So they almost always bring illumination and turning points and, you know, also conflict and drama. I feel like full moons are sort of known for bringing drama and bringing our emotions up to the surface. But lunar eclipses, which is what we're having today, are sort of like full moons on hyperdrive. So everything is going to happen even more dramatically and intensely than it would with a usual full moon. Like what? Can I blame all my problems on this moon? (laughs) 
Well, we don't want to blame all of our problems on it, but you can certainly blame some problems on it. I'll give you permission for that. Um, Change happens really fast during eclipse season, so we can expect all sorts of revelations, sudden endings, or changes of hearts. Um, All of that seems to come about really quickly during a lunar eclipse like this one. And of course, I think it's important to recognize the indigenous nature of these ceremonies and rituals. Because a lot of people... Yeah, she seems like the perfect person. No, I am, I'm, I'm just saying, like, it has been. And listen, I'm in the wellness space, too. And there is a bit of, like, a whitewashing of it and, like, you know, people taking it on. Um, and totally. so is this something you think about being in this space, in this industry? Oh, it definitely is. I know, for example, a lot of people use these sort of full moon nicknames. Like, this one is the full flower moon. Um, And people throw that around and it's cute, but, you know, that's actually, as far as my research shows, that is a Native American nickname that was given to this moon and that is given to different full moons throughout the year. So I think it's important that we realize it's not just a cute nickname for the moon that we see on Instagram. A lot of this stuff actually has roots in history in different cultures. So it's really cool to do some research and really realize that kind of thing. I'm so confused. What's the moon supposed to do? Like I'm, I'm being honest. I'm, yeah, I'm just I'm confused at the the sense of like. So I'm I'm looking up at the moon. I'm you know I you know I own a couple crystals here and there. Like I like a crystal actually. Totally. My rose quartz pendant. Oh, here um, it goes. While not, I was now in, he's gonna use you for this. While question. I was in Chicago, <laughs> Chicago this past weekend, oh. I noticed that the pendant cracked at the end. And it was wow. Oh, it might have been. Okay, you well, told me it was cracked. Okay, so yeah, Shira knows me better. Which honestly, but she what does. is the significance but I, it, it of that? It cracked. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Should I be charging it underneath this moon? <laughs> What do I get superpowers? <laughs> Tell me more. These are great questions. I've heard different things. I do some crystal healing and I've heard different theories about when your crystal cracks. I've heard that that means you have already sort of gotten your energetic downloads from that crystal and maybe mm-hmm. you don't need it anymore. Maybe you don't need to work with it anymore and it's already sort of jived with your energy and given you the upgrades you needed. But um, as far as eclipses go, it's thought that we don't want to charge our crystals or do any sort of moon rituals or manifestation man- magic under a an eclipse because eclipse energy is so chaotic. So, you know, we kind of want to rather than put our own wishes out into the universe, sort of sit back and maybe listen to the energetic messages that we're getting and just kind of listen to your inner self, maybe. It's sort of more of a time for reflection. Do we need special glasses to watch this thing? <laughs> like not, the eclipse. Not, it's not an eclipse. Oh, I thought it it's was. a lunar eclipse, a moon one, not a sun one. Girl, I don't know what yeah. that means. I'm just trying to figure. I'm just trying to see it, what. It's why hard the... to keep these straight. Damn. It's hard to keep them straight. But yeah, yeah. I, for uh-huh. solar eclipses, there's some special glasses you need. But for a lunar eclipse, I think it was just like the moon turned red last night. If you could, if you saw it, I. It, it was all cloudy here at the time, so I couldn't see it. But yeah. um, for those of you who caught it, it was supposed to be a blood moon. So it was turn, the moon turned a deep red, which mm-hmm. was probably very cool to see. So, uh, you know, here on the show, I'm a Taurus. Ryan's a Leo. What does that mean yeah. for our signs? So for Leo, um, so for you, Ryan, this is hitting a really fun and flirty area of your solar chart. So you might be feeling some sudden creative breakthroughs. Um, There could also be some changes within your romantic relationships or love life on the horizon because it's sort of hitting the area of your chart that governs dating. So creativity, love, all of these things are in flux. 
Okay, look at that. Love is in the air for you, Ryan. Yeah, you know, it's an exciting one. I'm hoping. I, I hope so, too. I've been single for a while. It's time. It is time, you know. Maybe this it's maybe it's a self-love thing. Maybe that's oh. why my rose quartz broke. You know what? That's a great thought. I love that. I love that interpretation, too. I think you had to and break it to move on to the other love. Oh, my God. All right. Totally. So, yes, move on to me. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I like you, by the way. You're good. Oh, Tell Shira really about like herself. Too. <laughs> okay, so for you, Shira, for Taurus, this eclipse is a really deep vibe for Tauruses. So a lot of under-the-surface feelings or dynamics might be shifting, like within your relationships. You might be reevaluating your personal boundaries or sort of Ooh. changing those in some ways. So this eclipse hits Taurus's solar charts in a little bit more of a deeper and personal and under-the-surface type of way. It's not as obvious or forward as some signs. So it might be kind of a deep, introspective time for you. We just talked about that, actually, Shira and I, about setting boundaries, and you had to do that recently, like yesterday. Really? Oh, yeah. yes. Yep. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of introspection. Which happening. is hard for her. <laughs> yes. It, it's tough. And this eclipse could actually bring up some opportunities to set those for yourself mm. and really kind of get to know those boundaries in a new way or get clearer on what kind of boundaries you want to set. So that's an awesome that's an awesome way to use this energy. Wait, real quick. We have t- like 10 seconds left. What would you say to people who are skeptical of this? How should they enjoy this moment? How should they, you know, kind of try to take part into the full moon if they want to try it? I would say if, if they want to vibe this, eclipses are believed to kind of help align us with our fate so they can trust that whatever is happening right now is sending them off on a good path and just trust that they're exactly where they need to be and roll with the changes. Love it. Nina Khan, astrologer, author of books, including Astrology for Life. Thanks for being here with us today. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Ryan. Of you course. both are amazing. Oh, Happy thanks. full moon. You too. I, I have a full moon ceremony later. But anyway, coming up, hey. we're, we're shifting gears. A new Ted Bundy project is in the works, but do we really need more content about a murderer? We debate that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. There's another Ted Bundy biopic coming. Another one? I mean, and it's starring another Disney alum who's taking on the role of the serial killer. In 1984, he was a Disney Chad alum. Chad Michael Murray was a Disney uh, star. Yeah, not like, like that Zach was Efron. Yesterday. Zach Efron was more of a recent Disney alum <laughs> than he was. He was like on Clubhouse Disney or something. Or whatever it was called. Mickey Mouse Club? Yeah, maybe that. I don't <laughs> hey, know. Hey, whatever. It's that old. He's, I mean, he's that old. So Screen Daily announced that, again, Chad Michael Murray will be playing Bundy in Daniel Farron's American Boogeyman. That's what the movie is called. And instead of focusing on Bundy's personal life, like Netflix's controversial one that Zac Efron starred in, uh, this movie will be focusing more on the story of the detective who caught Bundy. So... Um, this is interesting, but it's like, do we, I, I, I get the intrigue of Bundy. I get it, but I'm kind of over it. Wait, wait, can you break that down? What do you get? I mean, I think we're intrigued. Listen, there's, it's no surprise why the top podcasts out there are about serial killers and murders and all this stuff. People love this type of content. And so this generation didn't really know about Ted Bundy. And so I see bringing it back, even though I was, I watched a bit of it, it, that I did not like that movie. I don't like seeing things that were that 
that were real in this way. It just does not rub me the right way. And then how much more do we need to know about this guy? How much more attention do we need to give this guy? He's kind of getting what he wanted. So that Zac Efron, Ted Bundy movie came out in 2019. Um, So that's already the most updated version (laughs) for this newer generation to find out about him. It just feels like we keep trying to rewrite history to convince us that Ted Bundy was hot or something. It just feels like they keep getting hotter guys to play him and for us to kind of sympathize with this serial killer, in my opinion. And for me, it's just like, why do I need to know more about this person? How say. much more can you tell about this person and this story? Um, because honestly, it doesn't really seem like you. he has more to... It's traumatic and I triggering. Don't... I watched the movie. I could not go to bed or sleep alone for a long time. We don't I... need to watch more of this stuff. Ted Bundy wasn't even cute. The real Ted Bundy? He wasn't even cute. I don't really understand she, why everyone flocked cute to for him. a killer back then. You know, we have higher expectations now of cute or hot. No, well, he wasn't. The, the plot description says that American Boogeyman will follow the elusive and charming killer and the manhunt that brought him to justice involving the detective and FBI rookie who coined the phrase serial killer. Hollywood is lazy. The movie will be released theatrically on August 16th. See, now you're kind of getting me. I do want to find out about this FBI guy who created the phrase serial killer. But do I? that could be um, involving other stories, not just Ted Bundy. Well, anyway, let us know what you think. Are you over it? Have we had enough of Ted Bundy? Is he even hot? At LGT Show. See, I feel bad because, like, that can be triggering for people who have been impacted by his actions. And now it's like, oh, it's kind of funny. when You he think was... they're sitting here listening to Channel Q? I'm just saying. I mean, like, might I'm be, just questioning know. my lap. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't know at the LGT show. Of, of all the but people But it just shows how, like, Ted the further you get from history, the lighter it gets. That's a real thing. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true, yeah. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes! Queen? Now, transgender high school student Soren Tucker's classmates are rallying to stop his school from deadnaming him at their upcoming graduation ceremony that is being held actually today to the point where they've actually started a change.org petition to stop this. Now, what's crazy is Soren is referred uh, by his name um, by everyone, teachers in the yearbook, etc., but he knew for some reason that he might be dead named in his graduation certificate because that's his official legal name. But he had just requested that when they say his name, that it be Soren. However, mm-hmm. they said they would not do that. The school said that. Okay. And that's when students and the school were up in arms about this and started this change.org petition, which has already gone almost 19,000 signatures. Wow. You know, why would a school say they wouldn't do it, but then still do it? Like, yeah, why do it in the yearbook and all these things? And because of that, because they've been actually so accepting, he forgot that this would be a problem. So after this request, like, he was very surprised when the the school counselor told him that the Cobb County School District said that they required to use his dead name because graduation is a legal event. Like, really? No, but if that, you know, if they, you can always, like, just like when you sign up for school, they always ask you for your preferred name. 
Or like any in any situation, if you're uh, signing up, you know, if you're applying for a new job or things like that, like, yeah, that's all also a legal process being hired on and coming on board, like all of those things. But like, you still recognize that person's name choice that they want. This is happening in Georgia, um, but we want to applaud him, applaud Soren one on graduating, and applaud his class on standing by him. Yeah, I love that. I think we need to see more of that. And honestly, I'm not shocked that Gen Z is just slaying it that in that way. Exactly. So a big yes, Queen. Yes, Queen. We missed that. We got to record it so when you're gone, Ron, we can just play it. No, I just want you to need me all the time. Because okay. if you have it, you won't need me. Codependency for the win. <laughs> uh, that does it for our show today. We always love to hear from you. So let us know what you think about the show. Any stories we should cover at LGT shows where you can find us on social media. Slide into our DMs. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to talk about this new loophole that it seems like Instagram and Facebook has found to uh, possibly avoid being held accountable for people's obsessions with likes and followers. We'll be talking about that. Plus, why you might be feeling the urge to overspend right now. This is an interesting one because uh, a lot of us are experiencing this. So we're going to be talking about that on tomorrow's show. We are live for you again weekdays on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. We also have a podcast. You can catch up on all our shows. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris where he's covering attachment styles and how it impacts how we date. That's Bye, next. y'all. Oop. <laughs> My bad. Bye. <laughs>